0: Good morning and welcome to our service of worship here at First Church of New Knoxville. We're so glad that you've decided to worship with us here this morning. Our prelude today is a new song the praise team will be singing for us and quite appropriate, especially all that we've been through as a nation, as a community these past few months. It's called I Want to Go to Church.
1: I swore I would never go back, I was blind to the truth, didn't you know what I had, I was running, I was searching, but every place I turned for healing, left me broken in the last.
0: glad that to... so good to start our service that way this morning. Just what a great reminder of why we are here, why we gather as the family of God, and that is to, to worship together. And it is something that, given the pandemic and everything that we've been through these past several months, that was a good reminder of uh, what we should be, what we should be valuing, valuing and what we should be looking forward to. As we continue our worship service this morning, I want to share some announcements with you today. Once again, we want to welcome you to a worship service here at First Church. Uh, it is a hot Sunday morning here in New Knoxville. Uh, we're glad for those of you that are here with us in the service. There are a few brave souls up in the balcony. Good luck up there. Um, there and and we would also want to welcome all those that are listening on the radio as well as watching on Facebook Live. We're so glad that we're able to worship together in these new ways uh, as a church family. There is junior, uh, junior and senior high backyard Bible study tonight at Tori and Jake's house from 7 to 8.30 this evening. Uh, so we invite you to join in on that. Uh, if you are interested in helping run the camera for Facebook Live on Sunday mornings, please, you can see me after church. Uh, We're looking for four more people that we can take turns, kind of create a schedule. Uh, There's a few that have been kind of handling that, but as we continue to grow and develop that ministry, we're looking for others to, to help be involved as well. So please see me after church or reach out to me via email or phone call. I'd love to tell you more about that. On Thursday the 23rd, you're invited to the Business Impact Network Luncheon with Ohio State University basketball player Dallas Lauderdale. This is going to be held at Faith Alliance Church from noon to 1.30 for lunch. Uh, Lunch is being provided by Hogwild Barbecue and is available for $8 a person. There's more information about the event as well as how to RSVP in the bulletin. So take a look at that if you're interested in attending that luncheon. Next Sunday, following the morning service, there'll be a Sunday school teachers lunch meeting in the ministry center. Uh, If you are a current Sunday school teacher or I'm going to put it out there interested in maybe becoming one or learning more about what's going to be happening for this next Sunday school year. uh, Please, uh, please let Pastor Tori know if you're able to attend Uh, lunch will be served. So uh, if you let her know, that'll help her make those preparations. Once again, that's next Sunday after after church in the ministry center. Next Sunday is also the deadline for turning in uh, your, your res- reservation for the men's retreat and the deposit. Uh, there's more information in the info center in the back of the sanctuary, as well as some information in your bulletin. Once again, that's a men's retreat that we are uh, doing in conjunction with Faith Alliance Church. Uh, the cost is $200, uh, but half of that $100 is uh, needed by next Sunday. And if you're going to make out a check, you can make that out to Faith Alliance uh and uh, again see me for more information i know i'm excited to be a part of that there's several others that i've talked to in the church that are going to be involved and look forward to that time that's uh again the information is in the bulletin but we're looking at the end of september for that men's retreat Just a quick update on our offering for today. It is going to support the 3C project in Kusel, Germany. This is a ministry not only have we supported financially, but we've had a couple different groups actually go and work on the project there over the years. Uh, And there is an update from Pastor Michael in the bulletin today if you want a little bit more information about what's going on there. Uh, So I encourage you to check that out. And our offering this morning is going to be going to support that ministry. There's several other announcements in the bulletin. I encourage you to check those out. Uh, this time, if you're able, I invite you to stand with us for our call to worship this morning, which is from Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart and the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. And I invite you to remain standing for our praise song this morning, Good, Good Father. seated. This time I'll invite forward Carolyn Lammers for our children's chat message this morning. Again, just a reminder for all of those that are gathered here, we're still going to be having the children stay seated. Um, I know I've talked to a lot of our children's chat teachers, and that's probably the hardest part about children's chat these days is not having the kids up front with us. But again, with everything going on, we think that's the best for us. So Carolyn, thank you for being here this morning.
2: Good morning. Oh, I have with me a stick. I was told it was kind of a pathetic stick, but it's a stick, okay? But I have one heck of a stone. Whoa, okay. A stick and stone. Have you ever heard anything like sticks and stones may break my bones? And what's the rest of it? But words will never hurt me. How many believe that? Do you believe words can't hurt you? Hmm. I bet you all the grown-ups in this church building have remembered a time when they were little and somebody said something that hurt them. How many of you remember that? I was fifth grade and my best friend told me my new glasses were ugly. Needless to say, she kind of fell down on the list. So words can hurt, and they can hurt a lot. And we have a big influence on when we talk to other people, how our words can either tear them down or build them up. Now, our scripture lessons today is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting with 12. But in verse 11, it says, Encourage one another and build each other up. That means your words can build somebody up. It means you can encourage somebody, make them feel good. If you're in a group and somebody falls and they laugh at them, that's not right. We need to build that person up. If they're having a hard time with a soccer play or volleyball play, do we laugh at them or do we tell them, come on, hang in there. Well, you can do it. Give somebody a high five for the effort. Really, really build them up. Say, great job. You're awesome. Teachers do it all the time. Sometimes the teachers and parents need a little encouragement and say, you're doing a good job. I love you, Mom. I love you, Dad. You know, you had a hard day today. You know, let me get, do something for you. We can do a lot. I see elbow poking back there. I see a lot of people that really turn their lives around by being exposed to this positive encouragement. You know, if you're encouraging, you're building people up and help them live for God, we're showing what Jesus would want us to do. And an encouraging friend can help lift you up when you're down in the dumps. And always put you in a better mood. God made us to encourage one another so that we can stay right on track with God and focus on praising God. If you want an encouraging friend, you're going to have to be one. When bad things come our way in life, hmm, 2020, uh, we might be tempted to give in and just turn away from God and say, "Fooly." But if we encourage each other, and those people encourage people, and we have friends that are encouraging us, we will be able to stand stronger for God, and he will overcome. So at this time, I will give you an assignment. It won't be long till you have real assignments. But this week, I want you to go and find someone that needs encouraging, or if you see someone that needs encouraging... You could call them, and or you can say, you know, you look great today, or that was a good effort, or a great job. And it can even be a brother or sister. I know that can be hard, but it can be done. But encourage someone, so that we can be a positive influence on the people around us in the world. Let us pray, dear Lord. Please lead each of these children this week to someone that needs to be encouraged. Also, let us adults notice who might need encouragement and provide encouragement to them in Jesus name. we pray amen.
0: Amen, thank you, Carolyn. So we turn our attention to the Lord in prayer together this morning, I do want to once again, highlight our, our new way of doing our prayer list in the bulletin. Um, if you turn to the back page of your bulletin, uh, I don't know if Connie did this on purpose. I think maybe it was, but uh, this back page of the bulletin is a, a perfect thing for you to tear out and stick in your Bible, hang on your fridge, put it somewhere that you're going to see it on a regular basis because uh, it has a few things on it. And that is the prayer list. Um, the weekly scripture reading plan, as well as the backside, has some of the, the meeting reminders and those sorts of things that are happening at First Church. But just a reminder about how we are approaching this prayer list now, which is a little different than we've done it in the past. And that is each week we are, we are starting fresh with the names that are listed there. And so the, what you see listed in the bulletin here this morning are specific people and specific situations that people requested prayer for this week which means that there's something going on. There's a need there that they're looking to the Lord to have met. And we don't uh, share the details of those things here, of course. Um, there's, you know, reasons for that. But, but even if you don't know the specific person or the situation that's going on, there is someone who does, right? And that's the Lord. He knows our hearts. He knows what our, what we're going through. And even if we don't know the person or don't know the situation they're going through, we can still pray for them and lift them up to the Lord together. I share that with you for a couple reasons. One is a reminder to be praying for these people and these families that are represented there. The reason we include them in the bulletin is because we desire for you as a church family to be praying with and for each other. And this is a great way, a great resource to be doing that. Uh, The other thing is I want to encourage you to ask for prayer. It's not always an easy or comfortable thing to do, is it? When we're going through something and there's a challenge, it's not always easy to to put yourself out there and ask for other people to pray for you but that's what we're here for. We're a church family and we're called to, one of the things that we're called to do is to pray for each other. And so I want to encourage you uh, this week, if you have something that is going on, a need that is out there, uh, whether it's yourself or maybe a friend or family member, I encourage you uh, with with their permission, of course, to, to let us know in the church office. You can email us, you can give us a phone call, uh, drop a note in the offering plate as you're heading out the door. But we'd love to know how we can be praying for you and how we can be praying for each other as a church family. And this is just one of those ways that we can do it. So I want to encourage you to to be participating in that both by praying for the names that are listed there, but also if you have something that you need prayer for to not be afraid to, to submit that so we can be praying for each other. Now, with that being said, I just want to read one one quick scripture passage to encourage us in that and then we'll go to the Lord together in prayer. This is from Philippians chapter four, verses four through seven. He says rejoice in the Lord always I will say it again rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus Let's pray together Father God I thank you that that we have this invitation to come to you in prayer that you are a God who cares, who, who hears what we're going through, and you respond when your people uh, come to you in faith and pray according to your will. And so, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us to be a people of prayer, that in all circumstances and all things, both the good and the bad and, and the in-between, that we would go to you in prayer and lift up our praises and our concerns to you. And Lord, let us not just pray for ourselves, but pray for each other as well. Lord, we may not know the details. We may not know what's going on in another person's heart or mind. uh, But we can be praying for them because you know. And as Carolyn just shared about, about how our words can be an encouragement to others, you know, our prayers can be, can be that encouragement as well. Even if that other person has no idea that you're praying, that we are praying for them, we can, we can pray and lift them up to the Father and in and, and doing so, uh, pray that their, their heart and their mind and their situation is encouraged by that. Thank you Lord that that we can come to you and that it is through Christ and through the presence of your holy spirit in our lives that that we are able to lift up uh lift up our prayers and concerns to you. Uh, Lord you Lord God you are good and the greatest thing that you've done for us is is sending your son Jesus to die on the cross that our sins would be forgiven. We thank you, Lord, that, that the ultimate healing, the ultimate rescue, the ultimate hope we have is not in any circumstance or situation in this life, but it is in you and your, and, and the promise and the hope that we have of, of being with you forever. Uh, Lord, help us to embrace that eternal life and help us to realize that, that though it is a forward-looking hope, it certainly impacts the way we live here and now. So, Lord, in all things, help us to be dependent on you on your Son, Jesus Christ, and his work on the cross, and, of course, your Holy Spirit living within us. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Again, if you're able, I invite you to stand and sing our next song with us. It is the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. seated. Our scripture reading today is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 12 through 28. If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open up with me to those pa- those words and follow along. If you have a phone or tablet and like to follow along there, that's an option as well. And, of course, the words are also printed for you in your bulletin. But uh, whichever, whichever form that it takes, I encourage you to follow along as I read God's Word together, uh, as I read God's Word out loud and we hear the words of the Lord together. Once again, that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning with verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work live in peace with each other and we urge you brothers and sisters warn those who are idle and disruptive encourage the disheartened help the weak be patient with everyone make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong but always to stru- always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else rejoice always pray continually give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for the reading of your word. And I pray now as we, as we take time in this worship service to, to study your word and to hear what it has to say to us. I pray, Lord, that you would give me words to speak and you open up all of our hearts and minds. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we close out this passage here, to, or close out this letter here today, um, we're going to look at these final instructions, final uh, uh, commands that Paul gives to the church in Thessalonica. Uh may seem like kind of a, a hodgepodge, you could say, of commands here. There's quite a lot that Paul is saying in these few short verses. But I think the reason they go together is because they there's a, a sense that That in all of these things, the main thread and theme that runs through all of them is about keeping Christ at the center of everything we do, both as a community of believers, but also as individuals who claim to follow Christ. We spent a lot of time this past year talking about wanting to be a family of God, right? We spent a lot of time talking about what it means to be a church family. I even referenced it again earlier in the service when I talked about how we should be praying for each other and lifting each other up in prayer. See, families are important, and families can teach us about what it means to relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, I come from a pretty big family, not my immediate family, but my mom's side of the family. She is one of 12 kids. She's a 10th out of 12. And just the other day, it's its interesting thinking about this. My cousin uh, posted on Facebook, somebody had asked her if she could list all of our cousins, first cousins, second cousin, third cousins, all the way on down. And, and I don't know how she did it, because I would not be able to do it, but she listed them all. And it just kind of amazed me how many uh, people are on my side of the family. Uh, Believe it or not, uh, I have 30 first cousins. That's not even including my my brother and my two brothers and I. So 33 in our generation as well. If you look at Josephina Miles' generation, there are 50 of them. And there's even another generation down there below them that there's already 17, uh, would be my first cousin three times removed or third cousins there uh, in that generation. And that's a huge family. And that's just my mom's side of the family as well. And the reason I bring that up is because it got me thinking about all the things that family are supposed to be there for each other and do for each other. Right? We're called to be a uh, a family of God and that points to what families are meant to be and meant to uh, meant to demonstrate for us. Now, no family is perfect. We all have our our share of, you know, crazy uncles and strange cousins and those sorts of things, right? But, but family is meant to point us to something and point us to the reality of what it means to have God as our father, our perfect heavenly father, and each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. See, what Paul is talking about here, these final instructions that he's giving to the church in Thessalonica is about what it means to be a family of God, what it means to be a true community of Christ followers. And notice here what he's talking about. It's not predicated on what you have experienced, but on who you are. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a theologian and pastor who lived during the rise of, of Hitler and Nazi Germany, uh, had many writings. One of them was called Life Together. And in this idea, he talked about what it means to be Christian community. And he said this, he said, Christians are bound together by faith, not their experience. See, when we talk about what it means to be a family of God, we're talking about being a church that is bound together by a common faith and commitment to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's not anything more than that, and it's certainly not anything less than that. God's people come from all sorts of backgrounds. Some, some are important, some maybe not so much. Some come from wealthy backgrounds, some from poor. In that sense, their background does not matter. You can have two people with completely different life experiences, yet they're united together as one in Christ. That's why Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus our Lord. If our shared faith and commitment to God is what creates Christian community in the first place, then we must do everything we can, everything in our power to keep Christ at the center of our own individual lives, as well as our community. See, the importance of keeping God at the center of the community, it runs throughout Scripture. And I love there's this image in the Old Testament about what it means to physically keep God at the center of the community. Israel, after they escaped from Egypt and received the law on Mount Sinai, set off to wander the desert for 40 years. And throughout their entire wandering, they kept this formation of their camp. The 12 tribes were divided into groups of, of three, and each one was put in a, in a cardinal direction. They were called to set up camp to the north, south, east, or west, depending on which tribe you belong to. And any time camp was moved, any time they, they left where they were staying and went somewhere else, uh, they packed up camp and they set camp up in the same way, north, south, east, and west. What was at the center of camp? What was at the very center of their community and their existence for those 40 years wandering in the wilderness? It was the tabernacle, the the mobile temple of God where the sacrifices took place. And in that temple, above that temple, was where the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire rested during their wilderness wanderings. And so in a very real sense, this community, as they were wandering the wilderness... Had Christ, had, had God at the center of everything they did in a very real physical sense to remind them of how they were supposed to keep God at the center of their lives as well. Now, we don't have a, a pillar of cloud or pillar of fire to, to, to surround or anything like that these days, but the same idea is still true. We need to keep Christ at the center of everything we do, whether it's our individual lives or our community lives. We keep God at the center by worshiping and obeying him. When we study his word and sing his praises and, and live a life that's devoted to following him, that's what it means to keep Christ at the center. And to avoid these things, right, to avoid worshiping him, to avoid obeying him, to avoid studying his word and singing his praises means that we're ultimately keeping something else at the center of our lives instead of Christ. All right, think about that. No matter, no matter who we are or what we're doing, there's something that's at the center of our lives. I was reminded this morning as a small group got together to pray, right, that sometimes that thing at the center of our lives is us, right? We are surrounding our, we put ourselves and our desires and our wants at the center and that's what makes all of our decisions and that's the, what inspires us to live a certain way. But even when we put ourselves at the center, we are, what we're doing is we're creating an idol of ourselves. So I want to encourage you to think this morning, what's at the center of your life? What are you putting at the very core of your, your life? What are we as a church putting at the very core of who we are? And if it's anything other than Christ, we're in the wrong, right? That in, a, in and of itself is idolatry. And so as Paul is closing out his letter, this first letter to the Thessalonians, he addresses how, as a Christian community, they can keep Christ at the center in a sense, he's following up directly with the passage that came before us. And even as Carolyn demonstrated for us in children's chat and reminded us, the previous section, which dealt with the Lord's return, with the second coming of Christ, ended with those words, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Right? That was the purpose of that section. Paul was teaching them about Christ's return so that they would be encouraged to live holy and blameless lives in the present. And then here in these final words, he's going on to spell out what that looks like for them. And we can divide this section then into several parts. And that's what I want to run down uh, with you today. Kind of cover this list and group them together in a few different ways. And so first we're going to look at these first couple verses all about what it means to, to lead and respect leadership within the church. Notice here, and and throughout Scripture as well, leadership is not just a title. It's not just a position or office. Leadership is about what you do and how you live your life. It's a recognition of how someone functions within the community as a whole. Paul here says that, that leaders are those who work hard, who care for and admonish the church. And therefore, they deserve respect because they do those things, not just based out of a a particular title or office. True leaders are those that work hard, care for, and admonish the church. When I was in high school, I played football and, and my, la- my junior and senior year, we had a new coach, and he really went about trying to trying to restart and and set the culture and set the tone for us as a program. And one of the things that we did was during practice time, we spent time talking about John Wooden. Some of you may know who John Wooden is. He was a famous basketball coach at UCLA back in the uh, I believe in the '60s, '50s through '70s in that time frame, and he's very well known for being one of the most successful coaches in NCAA history. In fact, while he was at UCLA, he won 10 national championships in a span of 12 years. And people look at him and think, all right, what, what makes a good coach? What makes a good program? And you may think that they focused a lot on the skill and a lot of attention on the fundamentals of what it means to be a good basketball player and, and all that's involved in the technical side of the sport. But Wooden is most well-known, one of the things he's most well-known for is what he called his pyramid of success. And that's what we studied when we were, when I was in high school, and we talked about this. And again, if you were to look at the pyramid, you'd think it would be filled with things like uh, about what it means to be a great basketball player. But let me read you some of the things that are on this pyramid of success. At the foundation are things like industriousness, friendship, loyalty, cooperation, and enthusiasm. You go up a row and there's things like self-control, alertness, initiative, intentness, going on up, condition, skill, team spirit, poise, confidence, and then it's a peak, competitive greatness. All right, I'm sharing this with you not because I want to start a first church basketball program and win championships, but I want you to notice here. What's the foundation? It's character. It's, it's a how a person conducts themselves and, and lives their life. Skill, which you'd think would be foundational to be, have a good basketball team, didn't come along until the third row of the pyramid. And even then, it was surrounded by other things like condition and team spirit and confidence and poise. You see, what it means to be a good leader isn't about just about the, the title or the position, but it's how you conduct yourselves. What does this mean for us as a church? It means that when we think about what it means to lead, what it means to find leaders, it's about finding someone who's already doing the things that God has called them to do and then put them in charge. Think of how elders and deacons are described in Scripture. They're described not based on, on what family they come from or the kind of job title they have, but they're described by how they conduct themselves in their homes, with their families, and while they're with the body of believers. In Acts chapter 6, verse 3, when, when the first deacons were appointed, the apostles gathered together and said, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them. Notice it wasn't they were given responsibility and then developed what it meant to be spirit-filled and have wisdom. No, they were people who are already filled with the Spirit and who are already displaying wisdom in their lives. And they were then put, given responsibility and put in charge. Right? If you want to be a leader, if you want to have a, have a position in the church, if you want to be a leader in the church or in your community or even at work, the encouragement here is to, to focus on what God is calling you to do, to act like a leader, to, to, to work hard, to care for, to admonish those that, God, that, that are put in char- your, that are under your authority. Already do those things, right? Don't wait for someone to hand you a title, but start being the kind of leader that God is calling you to be. And so we're called to work hard. This likely refers to, uh, Paul often used this phrase to to refer not to a vocation or to a job, but to working hard in the ministry, working hard for the gospel. For example, in Philippians 2.16, he says, uh, You hold firmly to the word of of life, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. In other words, his ministry, his, his sharing the gospel was the work that he was called to do. And so, so leaders in the church are those that work hard in the ministry. They're those that are working hard to share the gospel and spread the good news of Christ to those who need to hear it. They're also called to care for. You know, there's two different ways, and depending on which translation of the Bible you have, this may be un- translated two different ways because the word there could either mean to be over, to exercise leadership, but it could also mean to show concern or to care for someone you don't have to choose one or the other. Likely Paul had both of these things in mind at the same time. Leaders are those who show concern for those whom God has placed under them. And finally, he says here that leaders are those who admonish. Now, this is the hard one, isn't it? This is the uncomfortable one for leaders and those who are being led. To admonish is to warn people who are going in the wrong direction, teaching against wrong behavior. You see, leadership is not just for easy times or good times or comfortable times. It's also needed during times of correction. You know, there's people that need to be reminded of, of the truth, right? Not that, not that they haven't heard it before, but need to be reminded that, that we need to live it out. Someone to say, you know what's right, you know what the right thing is to do, now, now do it. Just go ahead and live out what you've already learned and what you've already been taught in Christ. Colossians 1, says, He is the one we proclaim, speaking of Christ, of course, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. All right, What is the job of a leader? Why do we admonish? Why do, we, why do teachers correct students? Not to shame them, right, not to point out their faults for no reason, but to point them in the right direction, to point them to Christ so that they may grow and learn from their experience and become more Christ-like as a result. So part of the job of a leader is to, to confront and correct that behavior. If you're a leader, whether in the church or in your workplace or in your family, right? don't be surprised when confronted with resistance. People don't always like to be corrected, do they? I think of uh, think of our daughter, right, Josephine, and trying to teach her to read and do all those things that she's preparing for kindergarten. You know, sometimes she gets frustrated, and understandably so, right? Because uh, when she's not good at doing something the first time around. I know that because that's how I was too. I get it. And that's why it's so frustrating. But we tell her the only way she's going to learn is if she listens to her parents and her teachers. But that's true for all of us, not just somebody preparing for kindergarten, but, but for all of us. We need to listen to those who are trying to guide us and correct us. And so if you're under someone's leadership, don't be surprised or irritated when a leader tries to correct you. Pruning is never fun for the plant after all, but it's necessary and important. Why do leaders go to the trouble? Why bother with all of this admonishing and correcting and caring for those that are under them? While we care, leaders do it because they care for you as they do, uh, care for you in the Lord. Notice that in the Lord is a really important part of that commandment there. It's a mutual recognition of Jesus as Lord. And that's how that relationship can work there because if I'm committed to Jesus Christ as Lord and if you're committed to following Jesus Christ as Lord, then there's a common ground there that we can work from. That's why it's so important to keep Christ at the center of everything we do. It makes leadership, it makes discipleship possible. And notice here again, a reminder that the respect for the leaders is based on what they do, on how they lead. It's never good to have blind loyalty for a person or towards a title. It's important to recognize good leaders for who they are and and honor and respect them and also challenge them to be better leaders in everything they do as well. But leaders aren't the only ones that are called to minister, right? He go, Paul goes on to describe how we all as a Christian community are called to care for one another in verses 14 and 15, right? We're all meant to be involved in the ministry of the church. It's not just meant to be reserved for a few select people like myself or Pastor Tory or our elders and our deacons and our trustees, right? We're all called to work together to spread the gospel and share the good news of Christ, You've probably heard of the 90-10 rule that happens in a lot of churches, right? 90% of the people do 10% of the work in ministry, right? That's common in a lot of churches in a lot of ways. But that's not the way it should be. We're all called to work together to to minister to each other. And there are several aspects here that he he spells out for us that we're all called to be involved in. He says to warn those who are idle and disruptive. This is just like admonishing, as as we talked about just a moment ago. We all have a responsibility as a community to look out for one another. We want each other to, there should be a sense of support and a desire to see each other grow in Christ. It's a community effort, right? People, we shouldn't just sit around and watch leadership do all the work. We're all in this together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul reminds them, speaking of the gifts of the Spirit, he says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Notice he says each one there. That's important because that means that if you are in Christ, if you have committed your life to Him, and if you have trusted Him, that means that you have been given the Spirit, and you have been given gifts of the Spirit for the work, for the common good. That means we all have something to contribute, every single one of us. And we need to remember that and celebrate that. We need to encourage one another. We need to help the weak. We need to be patient. Those are all all things that we should be striving to do as Christ followers. You know, there are people among us that are that are suffering, that are hurt, that are downtrodden. And we need to be aware of those people. We need to, we need to be aware of those situations and do what we can to help them. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27, the author there says, Do not withhold good from those... To whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Here's the thing to remember is it's always in our power to act. It's always in our power to do the next right thing. And so if you see your brother or sister in need, whether that's a, a need of a word of encouragement or a need of some maybe material supply, right? We need to be willing and able to do what we can to help them out, to encourage them, to help them, and of course be patient with them. We need to also learn to keep our focus on God as a community, right? Everything is meant to be done in community. He lists off three things in rapid succession here that are important for us to remember. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks. This call to rejoice always may seem unsympathetic, right? How do you rejoice or how do you tell someone to rejoice when everything is falling apart? See, we need to remember that our joy is not based on our circumstances, but it's based on a relationship with God that can never be taken away. We need to pray continually, constant communion with God through the Holy Spirit. There's no need to wait for a special time or special place for prayer. We can and should pray anytime and anywhere. And we're called to pray, not again, just as individuals, but as a community as well. One of the things I always appreciate on Sunday mornings is when we pray together the Lord's Prayer. You know, no matter what, uh, you know, your background is or, or what church you maybe you grew up in, that's the one thing that Christians from, from Jesus' day till now have been doing is praying the Lord's Prayer together. And it's such a, uh, a way to, to come together as a community and focus our attention on Christ. And we're called to give thanks in all things, in all circumstances. And that's because God can use all of our circumstances for, for his good and for our glory. In Romans eight twenty eight, very familiar words. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. So we're called to rejoice always, to pray continually, and to give thanks in all things. When we learn to do those as a community, as individuals, but also as a church family, it really changes our perspective, doesn't it? Because when we rejoice in all things, when we, when we keep our hearts and our minds attended to the Lord in prayer, when we are learn to give thanks no matter what our circumstances are, what it's doing is it's keeping Christ at the center, right? It's taking the focus and the attention off of ourselves and off of our situation and putting it on Christ. And that way, when we're able to do that, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're experiencing, whether it's a global pandemic or a loss of a job or the death of a loved one, right? When we're able to keep our focus on Christ, it gives us the strength to face whatever challenges come our way. It doesn't mean we're never going to suffer. It doesn't mean we're never going to have hardship, but it gives us something to hold on to in the middle of it. Then this last section he reminds us that we need to keep Christ at the center of everything we do in our worship together. He reminds us to not quench the Spirit. Don't resist what God is wanting to do in your life or wanting to do in our church family. The Spirit often works through, word, through His Word, through prayer, through the exercise of spiritual gifts. Sometimes it's just that simple nudge in the back of our mind on what to do or what not to do. And we need to be willing to allow God's spirit to work in us and through us and not ignore the work that he want, he's wanting to do. He especially mentions prophecy here, right? Prophecy, that, that's the idea that, that God is speaking to us primarily through his word and by his spirit, right? It's intended for the common good. Again, 1 Corinthians twelve seven says that, these gifts of the Spirit are given for the common good. They're meant to build each other up and, and encourage one another. And we need to always do so with, with Christ at the center and with Him in our minds. He says here that we're called to test these prophecies, test the Spirit. And that may, the question is, how do we do that? Well, first and foremost, we need to compare all prophecy and teaching to Scripture itself. In the Reformation, there was a rallying cry, sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. That doesn't mean that God's word is the only authority. There are are certainly a place for creeds and for other useful tools in teaching God's people. But scripture has the final and ultimate authority in all matters of life and faith. And so if a teaching contradicts scripture, then it's not from God. If someone says they feel led to do something, but it leads to unbiblical behavior, then that's not from God either. Again, that's why it's so important to keep Christ and his word at the center of everything we do because it's that is the standard by which we're called to measure and judge all other things. See the role of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14:3 uh is threefold. He says those who prophesy speak to people for their strengthening, for their encouraging, and for their comfort. And so we're called to listen to God. And the only way we can do that, the only way we can know what is from God and what is not, is by keeping Christ at the center, keeping his word at the center of everything that we do. It's interesting, at the close of this letter, Paul says, Paul reminds them of the importance of reading this letter out loud, right? The public reading of scripture, what we do here on Sunday mornings is so important but it doesn't it shouldn't stop here either. We're also called to be in God's word on a regular basis on our own. And the reason for that is because he is faithful. He is faithful and he is he is working in us. He's working in us as individuals, but he's also working us in us as a community to make us more and more like his son Jesus Christ. Right? Sanctification is his work. I love the way that Paul Spells it out in this prayer for us. And I want to I read this again for you as we close our time in his word together. It's a, The prayer in verses 23 and 24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Right? We struggle sometimes, don't we? We are not always faithful. We stumble and fall because we are all sinners in need of a Savior. But the good news is that Jesus is faithful. Right? He will never turn his back on us. He will not disown us. As long as we respond to him in faith and allow his grace to transform us through and through, then he will continue to work in us what is pleasing to him. Right? He will continue to draw us to himself. Church, we are never going to be perfect, not on this side of eternity, but we can strive to know him better, to be in his word. And we do that by keeping Christ at the center. And when we do that, he is faithful. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for that. I thank you that we can keep you at the center of everything we do. Help us to do that, Lord. It's not easy. And we can't always do it on our own, but in you and through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, help us to live for you this day and all the days to come. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our closing song today is uh, another praise song called His Mercy Is More. And it's a reminder of what I just shared with us, that his mercy is certainly greater than our sin. That though we struggle at times, we know we can look to him for the forgiveness and the grace that we need. I invite you to stand and sing our closing song with us. may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loved us and by His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen. You may go in peace.